Christ will be preached. Please be seated. We've read in previous passages here in Matthew, and also we've made the analogy of the great contrast, the great, great and infinite contrast between the light of God's righteousness in Christ, the Lamb of God, the spotless Lamb of God, the pure Lamb of God, and His forbearance and His patience and His enduring great affliction, quietly enduring the, the passively what was done to him by way of ridicule and mocking and scorning and beating. We also seen by stark, alarming contrast the viciousness of men who take delight in persecuting and in shaming and in mocking the beloved Son of God, the beloved servant. And we see these two things and we we adore Jesus for his wonderful righteousness and his innocence, his character, his fortitude, his courage, his tenacity, his faithfulness through all this affliction. But now we see something here that seems to have switched the polarities. Just as, I don't know if you know those little model race cars. I, I used to have the HO scale race cars. I, I had, I think, over three linear miles of racetrack. It was in my father's garage. It was so large, I had to build a, a plywood table from the, from the ceiling and lower the track because it was so, so, such a big track. But I had the little, little HO scale cars. I think they're 132nd scale. They have little motors in it, and I learned that if I switch the polarity on the battery and switch polarity on the motors, I could have that, that car facing forward, but it would go backwards. You switch the polarity, the motor works opposite the way it was on the other polarity, positive and negative, negative and positive. What we see here is a switch. The Lord who is righteous on the cross really deserves our worship, the worship of the purest angels, God the Father's smile, His benevolent protection. The Lord Jesus deserves honor, glory. He deserves robes of better than purple, crowns greater than of gold. And yet we see a polarity change. We see wrath we see anger, ominous sounds in the heavens and in the earth. We see and hear a cry that would make most mothers weep for their son. What are we to make of this? What are we to make of the only righteous man who has ever lived, who taught perfectly, who lived a gracious and loving life, being scorned, being ridiculed, being despised, being, being tortured, being tortured. As I said last time, the scripture demands death of sinners. The Lord warned our father, Adam, in the day 
that you sin, that you eat of this tree of the knowledge of the good and evil. You, you will surely die, says the English, but the Hebrew says it better. The Hebrew says, dying you shall die, and that's what Jesus did on the cross. He was dying as he was dying, and finally died, because they left his vital organs all intact, and they assaulted his body in every place where he was vulnerable, bleeding out, dying but not dead. That's the torture of the cross. But we find out in the scripture that this was the holy will of God the Father. And all supporting scriptures in the Old Testament fulfilling the will of God that he, the Lamb of God, would be offered in the place that should be the place of sinners. We are the ones who should be dying and approaching death, but never dying in hell. Because our souls, once created, live forever. What we see here is the living emblem of hell. And Jesus enduring hell. And then we see, after this display, this lightning of wrath, what we see is the daybreak, a new dawn, the curtain of the temple opening and access to all. And we even have a surprise here in this text, the first fruits of that open temple. Well, we'll get to that in a minute. I want to give you a little bit of an appetizer. Again, stark contrast, light and darkness in previous sermons. Here we see wrath as never before ever displayed. God's wrath greater than Noah's flood. God's wrath greater than Sodom and Gomorrah. God's wrath greater than all the wrath of hell unto eternity for all apostate and reprobate souls. This is hell. This is hell. And hell itself does not compare to the hell of Jesus on the cross. We need to understand this, or we will never appreciate what Jesus has done for you and for me. And we will never appreciate those gates that have swung open for us in Zion and the, the, the curtain parting, the four-inch thick woven temple can separating the holy from the holiest of place, the very throne of God, just torn from bottom, from top to bottom, and you can walk in by the blood of this one, the Lamb. Wrath, perfect wrath, peace, perfect peace. That's our teaching. Our teaching here this morning is this. Jesus endured the painful and the shameful death on the cross as God the Father's holy wrath for sin. That's, how, that's, that's what he did. He endured that as God's holy, just wrath for sin. Jesus died as the substitute for sinners, fulfilling all the old covenant prophecies and requirements for righteousness, that is to say the law, the moral law, and thus, Jesus opened the way 
for you and me, for free and everlasting salvation to all who believe in him. I'll repeat. Jesus endured the painful and the shameful death on the cross as his father's, God the Father's, holy wrath for sin. Jesus died as our substitute, a substitute for sinners in your place instead of you, fulfilling all the old covenant prophecies and requirements for righteousness, thus opening the way for free and everlasting salvation, free salvation, secure and forever to all who believe in him. Two points to this sermon. First of all, Jesus died in the death of a common sinner. This is not an extraordinary sinner. This is not the vilest of sinners. This is every sinner, what he may expect. Not to the degree, because Jesus bore the sins of all people who die in sin, but to the quality of the wrath and to the perfection of the wrath due for the debt of sin, Jesus died as a common sinner. And this is what will happen to sinners who die in sin. Jesus died the death of a common sinner on the cross. Now the wrath of God is displayed here already, a very ominous sign. The sky was darkened, just like at the Mount Sinai. God is present at the top of Mount Sinai. Do not touch the mountain. Take off your sandals. This place is holy. Be careful. There's lightning, there's thunders, there's quaking, there's fire, there's smoke, there's trumpets. These are ominous signs. The sky is darkened. Day turns to night. It's always an ominous sign. And God rules over all. And he made the sky a threat. Heaven is threatening, and the wrath of God is also dark in Jesus' spiritual communion with his heavenly Father. My friends, that's the worst. That was what scared, if I may say so reverently, our Lord Jesus. This, he's now experiencing something he has never experienced before. For the first time in his being from all eternity, the soul of Jesus feels an ominous threat coming upon him. Now, Jesus is the only innocent man. He's, he is holy. He's, he is righteous. But Jesus was now imputed, that is to say, he was treated as, he was considered, he was reckoned as, not only a sinful man, but as sin itself. God discharged his wrath on Jesus as a common man who is a sinner, but in the strongest terms defining him as sin, just like the brown serpent that was, a, <clears throat> was lifted up in, in the wilderness made to resemble sin, the very, the very toxin that was killing God's people. Jesus is here represented as that which is, is the very toxin, the very toxicity of our souls. Sin itself. Jesus was imputed sin. He took it upon himself. Sin was laid upon him by the God the Father. And both is true. And he took upon himself the sins of his sinful people. In Isaiah 53, again in verse 10 and following, 
It was the will of the Lord, Jehovah, to crush him. This is Isaiah prophesying in the year 750 uh, before Christ. The Lord, Jehovah, has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he will see his offspring. He will prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Verse 11 of Isaiah 53. Out of the anguish of his soul, he will see and be satisfied. And by his knowledge, so the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous. And so he was imputed sin, and by his knowledge, going forward, by his death, resurrection, by his accomplishing salvation, many will be accounted righteous for his sake, and he shall bear their iniquities. Isaiah 53 and verse 11. He goes on, you can read the rest of the prophecies, quite accurate. Jesus was imputed to sin. The righteous died for the unrighteous. And that's what basically I just read to you from Isaiah 53. Our reading from 2 Corinthians made it plain. I'll reread it. 2 Corinthians 5, beginning with verse 18. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us, past tense. He reconciled us to himself. That is to say, he reconciled in his offering at that cross once and for all, perfectly, his people to God everlastingly, and need not be repeated. All this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself and counting their trespasses, uh, and not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. That is what ministers do. We preach good tidings of peace with God through faith in the Lord Jesus. Jesus was made sin for us, we who are sinners. He was made sin for us that we might be the righteousness of God in him. For His, for our sakes, as 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21, for our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That is the great polarity switch. That was what's going to make the little uh, HO scale car not go forward, but go backwards. The car will not dash forward into hell. The car polarity is, is switched, and that car, although he's pulling forward, will march backwards into heaven. He will not go into the abyss. He is now running from darkness. He is now running to light because of this great, great transaction on the cross. The debt of sin is uh, owed to God because of his righteous law was paid and being paid is canceled. There's no debt here. As Elder Thomas said, God is not your enemy. If you're a Christian, you're, God is not at war with you. Yeah, his spirit strives with you because he, he wants you to be holy. And if you buck that, script, that, that spirit, then you know he's going he's gonna to discipline you. He's going to chase you. He's going to visit you. But his love will not be removed from you. Now, the, the covenant of grace in Jesus is greater than the Davidic covenant. And the Davidic covenant had this feature. No, he's your father forever. Jesus, the sin-bearer, took the full wrath of God due for your sin, for all the sins, and this many, the sins of many, 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 many people. John 3, and uh, verse 14, 15, 
I alluded to already. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. You see that, that, that bronze serpent was, this, was an emblem of the toxin that was killing Israel in the wilderness. But really the toxin was sin. Sin was being lifted up in that serpent, that bronze serpent. The Lord is that one that is lifted up. That whoever believes in him, not the bronze serpent, the serpent could only cause the toxin to go away and people stop dying in the wilderness, but they died another day, physically. This one, though you die physically, you will live eternally. And you will be resurrected in the new heavens and the new earth with your body. For the Lord loved, uh, so loved the world, God so loved the world, he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe in him is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God. John 3, 14 through 16. What we see here then is that God the Father withdrew his benevolent presence. Now you can't, you can't ask God to abandon his presence because he's omnipresent. He's not demanding, he's not absolutely vac vacating himself from his creation. But he's vacating himself from the, the friendly presence, the the supporting presence, the upholding presence of Jesus, his son. That's what God does. He, was, he, has, he withdrew himself from his the, his, the felt presence of his fellowship and communion, his friendship. No communion for Jesus, whom the Christ had had communion with the Father in the bosom of the Father and the Holy Spirit from eternity. This is something new. This is something radical. This is, something, this is something we need to look at very, very carefully. This has never happened before and never will happen again. And Jesus knew it. And he did it for you. It had to be done. Now the meaning of Jesus' death then should have been clear to the onlookers. But it was not. I, I, the scripture is everywhere pointing to this event as the epicenter of all human concern in history. And man is a rational creature and he should be seeking after God if perhaps he should find him. But we spend our days in academic classes and we spend our lives working in science and working hard to, to counteract bacteria and viruses and any number of things that will kill us and we don't understand that sin is what's killing us. And will kill us unless we find a cure. And here is the cure. But the solution, the, the vaccine is right before them. And Jesus gives them a strong hint here in crying out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But they still do not get it. They still do not get it. Even Isaiah, Isaiah 52 said, who, Lord, who, 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 has believed, who has believed our message? And to whom has the, the arm of the Lord been revealed? It's incredible. Everybody has Bibles. It's the most popular book in the world, and yet hardly anybody, very few, understand what is going on in this passage. And certainly the people here near Jesus, they didn't understand. 
And later Jesus affirms that they should have understood after he is dead, buried, and now he's resurrected, he appears to the disciples in Luke 24. And this is what he says to his friends. Uh, well, I'm going to have to turn to it. I thought it was, I thought it was in my notes, so I'm going to turn to Luke. If you have it, Luke 24 and verse 24. to Emmaus between cities, Jesus with his uh, two disciples. And these disciples are, 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 are describing to this man, they didn't know who it was. It's the resurrected Lord Jesus, but he, the glory, you know, he's changed in appearance somehow. He's, and they say to him in verse 24, Luke 24, verse 24, some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said that he was gone. The angel said that he had risen. But they did not, but him they did not see. And Jesus then says to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the cross that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. The Bible is everywhere concerned with Jesus at one point or another. But we miss it. But here's the clue. Jesus here on the cross. And we see that he cries out in his agony. And he says in verse 46 of the ninth hour, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. And that's Aramaic. That's in the vulgar tongue. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now that's the first verse of a psalm. And every single Hebrew child had been schooled since his infancy in these writings. And when they heard the first verse of a psalm, they would just go ahead and fill out the psalm. They knew this stuff. They knew it better than we. And most of some of you do know the psalms and can quote psalms. <laughs> But there, in those days, you know, they didn't have the entertainment. They didn't have so many amusements. And they were very serious about their religion. Although many of them, of course, most of them did not attain. The meaning of scripture of this Jesus' death should have been clear to them. Jesus lays on to them a very heavy, heavy hint. And what we have here, let's continue. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Psalm 22, verse 1. Oh my God, I cry by day, that is under the, under the light of the sun. You do not answer. By night, you've got a cloud, threatening skies, all black. By night, and I find no rest. Yet you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel, and you, our fathers, trusted, they trusted, and you delivered them. And you, they cried, and they were rescued. And you they trusted, and they were not put to shame. And, Jesus, and then in verse 6, I'm a worm and not a man, scorned by mankind, despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They make mouths at me. They, they wag their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. 
Let him rescue him, for he delights in him. And he goes on. And you, you can spend the rest of this afternoon, the Lord's Day, in your private worship. Read through that and see that this is precisely the psychology, the mind of Christ as portrayed for us by the Holy Spirit in the psalm. The psalm is being fulfilled. This cry, the opening line of Psalm 22, was said loudly. It was said clearly. It was said in the vulgar tongue, Aramaic, not Hebrew or Greek, so that all would understand. He cried out a second time. I'm trusting, I'm guessing, but in the same way. In, in the same way. Same words. And some heard, but they were confused. They, they were not sure what was going on. We have several onlookers. Of course, the nation was waiting for Elijah to come before the coming of Messiah. Jesus affirms that that's right. But the, the understanding of that was to be spiritual. It was to be the hermeneutic. That is to say, the way we understood that was to be figurative. And so they heard Elijah and not Eli. They heard the, not, the, the proper name of a person, and they did not hear Jesus saying, my God, in Aramaic. But Elijah, that is to say, John the Baptist had come figuratively, and Jesus is his own interpreter, and that's the way he handled that text. That's the way the New Testament often understand, uh, portrays the literal word of the Old Testament figuratively and spiritualizes it. And that's why we follow the hermeneutic of Jesus and there's things symbolically in the Old Testament, not literally. And we follow that same understanding and interpretation. They thought Elijah was to come, but Elijah had come. That was John the Baptist. Hardly anybody, the, the leaders didn't, didn't understand him. They, did, they rejected John the Baptist and his message of repentance. Now Messiah's ministry, Jesus' ministry in the flesh is, is about to conclude and what we see here is one man rushing to his, his help. Jesus uh, was in agony. And so he takes a sponge and he dips it in the sour wine, which is vinegar, and he tried to ease Jesus' death by giving him this vinegar. Now, medicinally, what this does is it, I'm told, is it dilutes the blood and uh, it causes uh, a, a more easy bleed out, hastening death. Put him out of agony. Thought this onlooker, on, on this onlooker. But you know what? That would have been a mercy, wouldn't it? That would have spared him some some pain, wouldn't it? But you know what? There was no mercy, as I just told you. It was all wrath. This is pure wrath. This is not even the mercy of relief and vinegar. So he bleed out, maybe die thirty seconds earlier. No, he would die in his own appointed time when the, his ministry was done. This is pure wrath. There is no mercy. There is no mercy for Jesus. He died the death of sinner. This is a more hellish hell than hell. It's pure wrath. God would never do this again in history. Not in hell. The judgment, the wrath will not be as pure as this. This is undiluted wrath and most just and glorifying to God the Father and to Jesus the lamb who loved us unto death. Another man here was, was curious whether Elijah would come. He says, wait, 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 let's just, just wait to see. Let's wait to see 
if Elijah comes and saves Jesus. But you know what, man? He doesn't know the scripture either because that's backwards because Jesus was the one who saved Elijah. We got it backwards. How dull we are, how foolish we are in the scriptures. And this ought to cause us to tremble because we don't read them as carefully as these Jews did. The only thing we have in our advantage is that Jesus is our mediator and he sent the Holy Spirit and he's guiding us in ways that are profound and very gracious. And he just strives with us and he won't let us go. And he will pull us back and discipline us if we err. And that's why we're here this morning, where we're not fishing for redfish out in the, in the surf. Jesus saves everybody. Jesus saved, Jesus saved Elijah, not Elijah. Elijah's not going to save Jesus. Anyway, onlookers, there's confusion. Well, it is a mystery. We warrant this. But the mystery is this, that Jesus' greatest and final agony was the loss of the fellowship of the Father. The emotional, physical pain was there, of course. It's terrible. But the soul pain is the most frightening, far, infinitely, infinitely more terrible. Truly and really forsaken of the Father was Jesus. Separated. Separated from the Father. But my friends, that's what sin does. Sin separates you from yourself. Your true self. You are the loser of your own humanity by your own sin. Sin separates you from other humans. Because sin separates. And sin separates you from the only font of goodness, and that's God. Sin separates, and that separates kills. That separation kills. This is the death that Jesus suffered in his death to the fullest extent. This is hell to the fullest extent. Yet Jesus still, and this is the, this is the miracle, this is, this is something that I... How can I explain this to you? I don't know. I will declare it to you. He still declares in a cry, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's no one in hell will ever cry that. No one in hell will ever miss God the Father. No one will ever say, my God, why have you forsaken me? But Jesus did. He misses the presence, the comfort, the love of his Father. Mystery, 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 mystery. You can read all your epistles. If you come to terms with this, please help me. This is amazing. And I think it has to do with the fact that in union with the divine nature, Jesus is superhuman. He's, not, he's, he's immortal. He's mortal, but he's more than mortal. He is the God-man, and only a God-man could do that. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Second point, I'll go quickly. I know this is a long sermon, but we've got to get this right. This is a mystery. We understand this. We understand all things. We understand this. We understand the Old Testament and the New Testament. Point number two, Jesus' death ended all mystery of Old Covenant ceremony. We have to understand here that Jesus died at the hands of wicked people, but he died by willingly giving up his spirit. He is Lord of heaven and earth, and he is Lord 
of death and of life. He is Lord over death. And he gave up his spirit because he is Lord. Yes, he was killed. But he gave up his spirit. Nobody kills God. Nobody could kill a God-man. And that's why dying, he would die. Jesus' death opened the way to God. And the way to God was through his body. And his body is the true and the living temple. So the figurative temple, the ceremonial temple, with all its gorgeous tapestry and pageantry and all that, the four-inch thick woven curtain was torn from top to bottom. Only God could have done that because the ceiling was what? I think it was 30, 30 cubits high, if I, if I remember the, the measurements. The four-inch thick woven Jerusalem temple curtain was supernaturally torn from top to bottom. Meaning that the throne room of God, the Holy of Holies, was now open. It was exposed. Wide open. Got drafty in there. The direct access to the throne of God by all. That's it. That's what happened. That is not wrath. Oh, it's scary to hear something get ripped. If you've ever ripped like an old kitchen cloth, that can be pretty loud. What does it sound like to rip a four-inch woven thick curtain? It must have sounded like thunder coming out of the temple. And it was ripped from top to bottom. What in the world's going on? And the earth quaked, and rocks split, and graves were opened. Later, the Old, Old Testament saint's body is resurrected when Jesus resurrected on the third day. But my, son, my friends, what, what this is, is this is, the, this is the, the end of death. This is the death of death in the death of Christ. Death is dead. And that's what we preach. That when the sin offering is offered and the, the debt of our sin is paid, then God is reconciled. And all we have is not death, all we have is love. Life has swallowed up death forever. And now we have access to God. Not in shadowy temples and all the elaborate ceremony and pageantry. Uh, look, all this stuff is gorgeous, you know. I mean, I, I know you guys love art, you love painting. Pomegranates and temples you know, outlining the, the corpuses, you know, of the... Uh, of the temple. It was magnificent. Pillars, bronze pillars, gorgeous, 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 gorgeous. They had high priests decked out, man. Precious stones, gold, and embedded in his garments. It was beautiful. But all that is, all that is are shadowy. All these things are shadowy. And they only, they only hint and only point to the real glory and the essence, which is Christ. The Son of God and His work and His person. Not in types and shadows and ceremony on earth. Gone. Gone are all Old Testament shadowy ceremonies. And what is the first thing? It's, 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 it's amazing here. It's amazing to find in Matthew a gospel written to the Jews that the first person who gets it is a Gentile, a centurion, a soldier. 
not schooled in any rabbinic uh, school. Now, he, this man is not an academician. He's a soldier, just an ordinary guy. And his other soldiers were with him. And this man, and, and seeing the way that Jesus died, said, surely, surely, this, this is the Son of God. Well, that's the point of the whole of the Gospel of Matthew, my friends. He got it. He got it. This centurion is in the throne room. By faith, he went right through the torn curtain. He's in. Many Galilean women who had followed Jesus had also believed they followed Jesus. They're all in. Women. Gentiles. Women. By faith, they're in. The way is clear through the body of Jesus. Jehovah God accepted this perfect offering. In the Old Testament, when God was pleased with the offering, he would rain down fire and consume the offering. He would burn things up, make a loud noise, the glory, Shekinah glory, you know, he made all kinds of things. This time, to show that he accepted this offering of, the, of his son Jesus, that he was pleased with the Lord Jesus' death, he led everybody into his living room. Yeah, come on in. I'm okay now. We're all right. We're okay. You and, I, you and me, you believe? You believe in my son? You're all right. Come on in. Jehovah God accepted the perfect offering of the Lord Jesus, the Lamb. God was perfectly reconciled. Nothing else needed to be done. Redemption was accomplished. Nothing else needs to be repeated. No more sacrifices. Jesus truly and historically not he, not hypothetically. Not, not, he did not work a possibility of, re, of redemption or salvation for anybody. He actually accomplished the salvation of souls. Not hypothetical. Not probable. But sure, he did it. He reconciled man to God, those whom he represented. Jesus truly and historically, not hypothetically, atoned for, paid for, and satisfied God for the sin of mankind forever. The high priest Caiaphas, when he got that report, and he got a problem in the temple. What's the, what's, what's the problem? The high priest was the guardian. The high priest was the guardian of the temple grounds. Somebody comes screaming to him, hey, Caiaphas, 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 guess what? What? Some idiot has torn the temple curtain. Well, I'll get my hands on that. Yeah, but it, he did it top down. What? Yeah. No. When? Just now. What? Oh. 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 Oh, no. That Jesus fella. What have we done? Right? What do we got? He must have trembled. I'll tell you what this means. Have you ever heard rumors of you're being outsourced? Huh? You lose your job next week? You ever had that rumor? No more, priests, no more priests were needed. They're all gone. Got a big hat, looking great all of his life. He's lost his job. This is gone. You don't need a priest because all atonement has been paid for. No more temple needed either. Right, Jesus warned him. <laughs> he said, I'll tear this down, build it up in three days. Oh, oh, it's beginning. Oh, the mystery. 
There are transcendent signals that there's some deep intelligent design behind Jesus of Nazareth on the cross. Oh, no! No more priests. No more temple. No more altars outsourced by the universal gospel of Jesus. And why Rome and why the Anglican church and so many Protestant churches are screaming to put up altars and, and ceremonies and lights and incense, I have no idea. Can you, you figure that out? Please, please explain to me. This love affair with signs and forms rather than substance. What's that? Preach the gospel. That's what we need for ministers to do. Not play in the shadows. Jesus accomplished the following. According to Daniel 9, 24, I'll read that. Huh, if I just found my Luke reference here, that's really wild. Well, anyway, the essence is at 9.24 that the prophecy, the angel spoke to Daniel in Daniel 9.24 that after the 70 weeks, there would be made an end of transgression. There would be an end to sin as God sees it, no longer regarding the sin of his people. There would be an atonement for iniquity. God would be at peace. Everlasting righteousness would be brought in. So the law's demands are quelled. God has his righteousness, and all those in Christ are righteous. And then that prophecy was to be completed. All vision and all prophecy was to be sealed. Christ is the final word. If somebody comes to you with a new prophecy, a new revelation from God that is not concerning the finished work of Jesus and supporting the knowledge of God and his will for you, please walk away because prophecy and vision was sealed at the cross. All that remains of prophecy is the explaining of what Jesus' death and his person and all that. That's what the epistles are. It's just, an, it's just a footnote. All of the Old Testament is but a footnote to the Mosaic law, to Moses. And all the New Testament is but a footnote to the cross and Jesus. Sealed both vision and prophecy. Jesus accomplished all that. Jesus destroyed then death. Jesus avenged the lie of the serpent. Jesus won the victory. He did it at his weakest, not at his strength. Jesus did it at his weakest moment at the cross. And that's pure grace. That is pure and everlasting peace. Wrath, pure. Righteousness and peace, pure. That's what this passage is about. My friends, we need to be the most thankful of all people because Jesus endured this cruel death on the cross as the sin, the sin bearer for you. He, he endured, endured your hell. He paid your payment. Jesus died as your substitute. Do you believe that? His death fulfilled all the Old Covenant prophecies. That's what Luke 24, verse 24 and follow says. It's all about the Lord Jesus. 
And this opened the way for a free and everlasting peace. No wrath, everlasting peace with God and salvation to all who believe in him. What's your response? You lift up the cup of salvation. You lift up the cup of thanksgiving and you call upon the name of the Lord. That's what, that's what you, what else can you do? You, you owe God nothing but thanksgiving for his work on your behalf and rejoicing and great service out of love and respect and honor for Jesus. God is supremely glorified in Jesus' death. He remains just and the justifier of all who believe. This is perfect and infinite justice and perfect and infinite mercy displayed on the cross. It is the very epicenter of human history and the cross. If you're still confused as to why Jesus had to die, you must not fail to listen more carefully next time. Replay this sermon. Understand, believe this message. It's critical to your everlasting peace and happiness. Reread, study Matthew's gospel again. Listen to the sermon again. You must not despise any portion of this message. You cannot discount any of it. It's all imperatively important. And here there's comfort. The comfort is that all things are prepared. The feast is ready. The table is spread. It's Thanksgiving Day. Everything is ready. All you have to do is come. Should I bring anything? No. Just bring a heart full of thanks. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his holy name. The way is open. Return to God in Christ through faith in the work, the finished, the beautiful, the most perfect work of all, Jesus. My friends, if you're not a Christian, you need to understand that sin has separated you from God. In Adam, you've never known a day where you weren't separated from God. That's the exact opposite of Jesus. He never knew a day that it was separated from God except on the cross. But you, if you're not a Christian, you may name God, and you may think of God, and you may have some religion or something, but you have never had a day where you, were se you had nothing but separation from God. You've never known God. Sin has separated you and will continue to separate you until you are separated in a place polar opposite from heaven. Or you can be reconciled right now. You can believe in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that bronze serpent that was lifted up as sin, as your sin, and be justified and received. Come on, in, come on into the throne room. The curtain is torn. Come right in. You're acceptable. But you need to accept the gospel terms of reconciliation. Believe in the Lord Jesus. Leave sin behind. Once the polar switch is, is reversed, you will march backwards. That little H.O. car will go backwards. Fast. You turn away from sin. Where'd he go? Backwards. The whole world is going this way. What's this car going down that way? Is he a fool? This is where all the fun is. It's great. Pleasures. Seduction. Lust. Power. The cross. Shame. Nakedness. But righteousness. Peace. Everlasting joy. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins. He will grant you repentance. You'll zoom backwards from hell. You'll zoom to God. 
He will grant you repentance because he'll give you his Holy Spirit. He will guide you forever. Let's pray. Lord, this is your word. We pray that we did it on. Thank you for strengthening us. We pray, Lord, that we would heed. We give you the glory that wrath is not ours, but peace. We thank you for Jesus. Amen. Let's have an offering, please. Thank you.